0: constructing foiling, flow and the learning process with your host
1: eric anton what's up folks thanks for tuning in to the progression project podcast doing a different show today i've got mike pedigo I uh, came up to do a little shore runner this morning, but we're waiting on the tide a little bit. And so we took this opportunity to do a show that I've wanted to do for a little while. And the theme topic is going to be, if we were getting into foiling now, how would we approach it? I get so many questions about the right way to start this sport. And I know that the podcast has followed my journey. And now at this point, it's pretty technical. Like the last show with Kane, I know that a couple great foilers have, have, have hit me up and said that they've listened to it multiple times to try to get all the nuance in what Kane was saying. So this show is not tailored to that audience. It is, and maybe we'll get into some more, you know, technical where we're at stuff at the end of the show, but it's going to be more about if we were starting the sport right now, how would we approach it and what growth hacks can we, can we, you know, explain, teach that will help your journey in foiling. So hope you guys like it. What's up, Mike? Yep. Yeah. Thanks for coming, dude. Yeah, man, stoked. Yeah, I was gonna take a day off today, and then I was like, "All right, well, I'll do a session with you, Mike." Not a runner, and then we get up here. Like, Let's run it. So you gotta you gotta go with the conditions, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired, bro. Unlike <laughs> I, I got so smoked the other day by Austin and Brian, like it was bad. I rode the 120, and I just couldn't find the energy out the back, and did five miles and. Walked up the beach with my shirt over my head. Sounds like you could use some more practice then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So, first off, how you been?
0: Awesome. Been really good. Been enjoying playing with new wings and just still frothing super hard on the sport. Bring the mic
1: a little closer to you. We're live we're About that. To you. Yeah, that'll be better. Yeah, and we've been having some crazy good conversations and breakthroughs about all that stuff. We'll get into that maybe in the end, but all right. Theme of the show today, if you were going to start foiling right now. How would you approach it first i think i want to say what i wouldn't do right right off
0: the bat and what i wouldn't do would be get a gear set up online somewhere that you don't know much about and paddle straight into a lineup paddle straight into like you know a known break like that would be don't don't do that right you know i think that that's that's just a recipe for getting humbled you know just kind of that reality check of like oh i can't just hop on this and do that i always try to point people towards starting with somebody that knows how to do it and eliminating some variables so when i say variables i mean waves the pop-up like all those things that you have to learn as you progress through the sport you know i think the best way to do it is to learn how to fly the foil and eliminate those other variables that can throw curveballs at you that's kind of my general approach and there's a few different ways to kind of go about that but
1: yeah i agree and one thing that i should say if there's folks out there that are curious about getting into foil and you're probably coming from a surf background one of the biggest mistakes is that most of what you are most of the habits that you have in surfing are gonna work against you in foiling like in a steep section in surfing you lean forward and in foiling if you For lean sure. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, in surfing you lean back. Sorry. And in foiling if if you lean back, you're gonna taco and it's gonna go very poorly. So I agree with you there, Mike, like where if you can work some of those habits out behind a boat or on an e foil, mm-hmm. it's gonna go much better when you do get into the surf. Yeah, I couldn't
0: agree with you more. There's definitely, at some point, I always tell uh, my buddies that are getting into the sport, you know, after they get into the lineup and stuff, it, at some point, their fo- their surfing background will come into play more. Right. And their, you know, skills they've learned over time on reading waves and where to capture energy and stuff, that will come into play. But in the beginning, you kind of have to, like, get rid of some of that mindset on
1: how you normally surf, because it's different. Super different. Yeah. Yep. What I always tell folks, and I, I've coached a few people starting off in the surf because that was the only option, Sure, right? I mean, sometimes you don't have a boat, you don't have an efoil, a jet ski, whatever. So you're going to have to start in, in the surf. And what I say is your goal for your first five waves is to not fly. You should paddle into the smallest wave you can find, put as much pressure on the nose, see if you can pearl. Like if you can pearl and just hold on your board right. on the you, first, you follow, way. It's like that's a success right yeah, there. Yeah, that's, and then <laughs> do that agree. a couple times. Feel like because you're still going to feel the lift. And I heard James Casey uh, was just had an interview where he was saying the same thing. But you do not want to fly at the beginning because so much complexity happens as soon as you're up on foil. Mm-hmm. And if you're a surfer or if you're not a surfer, you know maybe it's even harder in some ways because you don't have the pop up yet or. If you can keep the foil on the water for a few waves in a row, then you know what it takes to push it back down. Yep. And pushing the foil down is always safer than going up in lift. Like, the higher yeah. you are on the mast, the easier it is to hit your foil. I told, Yeah, I mean,
0: catch, catching a wave on a foil. Like, when I, the first time I actually paddled out to the surf. So, I had, you know, my story is... I did it behind a jet ski a few times on a really big SUP board with some super old-school gear. you know, Perfect. But, but, it, but it was good. you know. The first day, I was flying the foil. It wasn't beautiful, mm-hmm. but I was able to fly the foil, and I was able to start turning a little bit. I breached a ton. I fell a ton, but that's to be expected. I did that a few times. I got a prone setup, and I went out into the surf, and I could hardly catch a wave. It was really a weird transition. I didn't realize how much I had to choke up on the nose because every time I would start getting pushed, the tail would start... Well, the nose would start coming up, you know? Right. So, yeah, I agree. Like, try to get a wave. Try to keep the board down. Yep. And I think conditions are so huge, too. Like, I mean, you got to pick the right... If, if If the only option you have is going out into the surf to learn surf foiling, then conditions are... You have to be super picky about conditions. I mean, you you can't be taken off on top to bottom waves. <laughs> you know, if you I mean, we still try not to do that now. I don't you I try as hard yeah. as possible. You, you just need a yeah. small mushy wave, you know, maybe a bigger wing to, you know, get some stability,
1: but not too big to where you can't control the lift. You know. Yeah, I learned all wrong. I uh, my first session was uh, on the North Shore. Kiahi had a foil sup foil and it's like head high, you know, like 14 second period swell. Yep. Three tacos in a row. And I gave it back. I was like, I am never doing this again. This is ridiculous. And then that was before I moved back to Florida. And then a little bit after being in Florida, I decided, all right, I'm gonna give this a go again. So I waited until a Costa Rica trip to learn in some waves. <laughs> and yeah, I did it again. I had the taco. I was wearing a helmet, thank goodness. and, and I And I was on the what was it the slingshot 84 manta the huge the giant one yeah. looks like a sl- yeah, yeah that like one's like hard to hold out man yeah yeah and uh, i got i got like kind of all right at flying a little bit and then i saw a little section coming at me i was like oh, i'm gonna hit this section and mm-hmm. taco it and the foil hit me square that's another thing the helmet, with dude. the
0: with the progression path i mean when i you know i have a, i come from a pretty strong surf background so once i started flying the foil on waves i would approach and look at sections like i used to look at them on a surfboard yep quickly learned like it doesn't all work the same way like things yeah you can't just go up and bash a lip in the same way that you would on a surfboard like things are different on a foil yep they're better
1: but they're <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you can start behind a boat or on an, an e-foil is a great way I to get I think an e-foil is a really, really good
0: tool. For, especially. Yeah, I, yep. definitely, I agree. I have a buddy in St. Augustine named Dave Slimp who does, who does e-foil lessons and foiling lessons in general. And if, if somebody comes to him with the goal of surf foiling but has never touched a foil at all, he still starts them on the e-foil. They learn how to fly the foil, and then they go behind the ski on a bigger board without the, without the electric motor, and then they learn how to fly on that, and then they can move to a smaller board, maybe get slung into a wave, or start working on some wake, and then they're pretty much ready for the transition into the surf. Right. So it's just a it's a pathway of progression that's, I think, much, much safer that way. And in the end, the time you save on the... And
1: frustration along the way, and the safety factor is well worth it. Yep. You know? At the beginning, it's all about flight time. Mm-hmm. And I have... Right now I'm helping a couple guys get into foiling and they're good surfers, but they also subsurf and they want to start prone. And I continue to, to express like you need to start on the sup. Because yeah. it takes away the pop-up. And you're going to get more flight time. Start on a big board because yeah. it's all about... Especially if they have that SUP background already. Oh, 100%. percent you know, are super comfortable on that. I mean, start with the craft you're most comfortable on. Yep. Start with a big SUP that takes away stability while you're paddling around. Mm-hmm. Get your front foot centered on the board so you don't have to deal with moving feet around when you take yeah. off. And then just get used to flying. And it takes a little while to train your brain to be okay with what happens when you start flying because Mm -hmm. it's like we talk about flow states in this podcast a whole lot and the the brain when you start putting in there's so much input that's needed from your feet and then at the same time the foreign feeling of flying above water puts you in a, a really weird state it's very difficult to function consciously when you're on on foil at the beginning so what mike was saying about stripping away any variables is incredibly important because it lets you start to process what it takes to push the foil up, to push Mm -hmm. the foil down and to control yaw, which is a completely different feeling than surfing where you're basically 2D and, and foiling is 3D.
0: I think one of the biggest things when I started foiling, I recognized was that, you know, coming from a short board or even a mid shape or a long board, when you lean on a rail on those crafts, I feel like you get some pretty quick feedback and it happens quick. And I feel like on a foil going from heel to toe or doing the yaw, there's this little bit of a delay that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning that delay that until your brain kind of like captures that and understands it, that delay is what leads to those, those tacos when you're, you know, you're expecting this to happen and it doesn't happen that way. It happens slower, you know, but you've already committed to leaning this far that way or whatever And now you're trying to come back and recover and it's not coming back because there's that delay. You have to like
1: slowly learn that delay. Right. And when we say taco, what we mean is you fall into your foil and it's the it's the fall you want to avoid probably more than any other fall. It's you overturn and a foil turns slower, like Mike was saying, but it turns harder and it doesn't want to come out of the turn as quickly. If you don't have the ability, you have to unwind from a foil turn. So you bank it in, but then you have to fly back underneath you to, to, to keep your center of gravity over the foil. And what happens is people who come from surf are used to that instant feedback and it's not instant. So you put the foil in a turn and then you immediately try to turn it the other way. Well, the foil says no, and it keeps yeah. turning and it's stronger than you are. Yeah. And so that is you end up falling on your foil because your body weight's going one way the foil's going the other way it comes up and it breaches because you can no longer push down on the nose and those are scary falls
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think with with foiling there's you you can't really force a foil to do
0: certain things like you can a surfboard like a surfboard you can kind of for especially like a shortboard or a fish like you can force that recovery quickly and on a foil, if you try to force some things, then that's when you get in those weird positions where you start falling towards the foil and stuff like that.
1: Yep, yep. There's another saying in foiling that I think is incredibly valuable, and that is never correct, always eject. And hmm. it's, I, it's important because as, as surfers or skaters, board sports, there's a lot that you can overcome when things get weird and save the wave or you know whatever maneuver you're doing. But on a foil, when things start to go wrong usually you do not have the nuance to input to be able to correct. 100%. And, and, and then by trying to correct, you usually put yourself in a much worse spot. So yeah. give it that's up. That's when the tacos happen. That's you're when tacos, you know, yeah.
0: usually it's, you're trying to recover from some sort of turn or, you know, some sort of adjustment that you're trying to make and you're trying to force it. And at, at some point, I mean, I like for me personally, when I'm foiling, when I'm doing something that's gotten off kilter and I'm trying to adjust, you know, I, I'll realize at some point that it's not—it's not, it's not going to end well. It's not going to work. The second I realize that, I hit the eject button. I'm out, and sure I say out. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from the foil.
1: Are you sure it's the second? <laughs> you have the best falls, out of anybody? Yeah. So we're talking about tacos.
0: I still have definitely plenty of tacos, my fair share of tacos. But I will say that, you know, I—I've only hit my wing a couple times, and it really hasn't been you know devastating i know like thanks yeah thanks for that Doing that for for me right (laughs) i mean most of the time you'll fall in front of the foil and you're moving at the same speed as the foil and you guys you and the foil system will slow down usually at the same rate of speed so it's usually not an issue having said that i mean the goal if you know you're going to fall just try to fall as far away from the foil as you can you know and there's different ways to do that it kind of depends on how you're falling but my mindset is just get
1: away from the foil Yep. whatever direction that needs to be my worst falls my, my worst injuries foiling have been sup tacos into the rail of the board with ribs where in bigger surf generally you're tacoing yeah. and then you're high on the mast and you fall and, and just land on the rail of your board and you know that's it like let's talk safety equipment for a little bit i think when you're starting to learn to foil you should wear a helmet and that's you should wear an idea. impact vest mm-hmm. I think that you should wear a leash if you're around everybody. Absolutely. If you're not around anybody, I think leashes are more dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you're a good swimmer, maybe don't wear a leash if you can be all by yourself. But if you're around anyone else, you've got to wear a leash. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, Thinking about starting foiling and gear, what would you ideally... We talked about the sub, we t- we've talked about platforms, you know, flying mm-hmm. platforms, boards. What kind of wings do you want to be on when you yeah, start? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean,
0: some of my favorite wings right now are not what I would really want to put somebody on when they start. Like the Lift 120, I mean, that's one of my favorite wings. I don't think that that's a great learning foil. Like, that's, that's the opposite. you know, yeah, it's, you, you need to be pretty finely tuned with your pumping and your ability to get a wing flying and keep it moving to make that foil work. That's pretty advanced foil. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most. Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, as, I, mean, I could even see myself doing this, you know, getting into the sport and being like, oh, this is what the best guys are riding. This is what I want, right? Right. And I get that mindset, but, you know, save that particular wing for later. Maybe invest in a the lift platform with a different wing, you yep. know, like the 200 surf or something like that. Something that's got some decent lift, Yep. you know, that is controllable. Something like that, if you wanted the lift platform. But in general, I would say, you know, if we're we're talking about, like, waist-high waves... A slightly bigger wing that's stable mm-hmm. you don't need the super tiny chopped down tails yet you kind of want the bigger tail for the stability maybe a stock tail is okay when you're starting you know for the stability of it of maybe. the system maybe for, for sure <laughs> we're, yeah for we're, sure we pretty much you're chop so down far. everything build our own tails or get cane tails so but when you're starting though that tails that stability that you get from tail wing is important And as you progress in the sport, you'll want less stability from the tail wing so that you can get more maneuverability out of the foil. But initially, that maneuverability will probably hinder the
1: smooth learning process a little bit. I think you want a very slow foil to start Yeah, right. because you want to go straight to the beach. That's another point here is as you're moving into the surf, you want to take off and you want to go straight at the beach. You do not want to introduce going down the line right away until you've got probably 30, 40 waves under your belt going straight at the beach, don't try to go down the line because now all of a sudden you have energy coming from a different angle mm-hmm. and it's going to, you know, like first couple waves going down the line, you're probably going to taco. If it's, yeah. a, it's front side, you're probably going to taco on your toes and you want a foil that can fly at the speed of the wave moving forward. Like the Lift 120, you cannot fly. No, you have going to go down the line. You have Especially to be going. On the, on the little waves we've got out front. Probably twice as fast as our waves go yeah. to keep that thing flying. Yeah, it's just the way that wing works. Yep. And so you want a big foil, probably a 1600, a lot of profile on it. You want it to be slow. You want it to be balanced. Probably pretty far back in the box at the beginning. You don't want to be overlifted. You always want to be able to push your foil back down yeah. onto the water. And a heavier rig at the beginning is not bad because a heavy board and a heavy foil are <laughs> will mean that there's less nuance in the input that you have to put into the foil setup. You know, I've been going back and forth right now between the JS, which is relatively heavy for what I surf, I love that board obviously, and then a custom that you made me, Mike, mm-hmm. which is incredibly light and has no swing weight. And the difference in nuance of the input that I need to give the board foil combo is is huge. The, yeah. the JS, just that little bit more swing weight, the little bit more weight on that, it lets me relax into my surfing a little bit more. But it takes away some of the more dynamic things that I can sure. do, and it just depends on what I want to do in a certain day but a heavier setup will allow you to not be quite as precise in what you are doing to fly mm-hmm. directionally so I agree yeah absolutely
0: yeah as far as the down the line thing goes, that totally makes sense and I think you know it kind of depends on the wave a little bit too I mean if you end up on a wave that's breaking a little faster which you you shouldn't be when you're starting so like if we're talking about let's talk about that yeah i mean so i mean you setups yeah crumbly like feathering mushy those are all like i still look for those waves you know that's what you want to start on you want to start on a wave where when you when you paddle in and take off the crest of the wave is not going to meet you at the bottom of the wave you know you (laughs) want it to be like like mushing and just breaking just at the top like you don't even really want a wave where the white water ends up all the way at the bottom of the wave ideally right and those are the waves that are really easy to go straight on you know if you if you if you end up on a break where you know the, the white is meeting all the way at the bottom of the wave you might get you know it's possible to get pushed out in front of the wave a little bit and lose some lift and then in those cases you almost need to go down the line a little bit but i think when you're I like the idea of, of, a um, super mushy break going pretty much straight, learning how to fly the wing. And when you start getting to where you're going down the line, just really gently going down the line, there's no yep. reason to start straight into like high lines, you know, that just kind of the speed difference that you'll get from a high line on a foil. Like if you're just starting, you're probably not ready for it yet. Right. You know, so go into it slow.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree on all that. The, the best breaks I think are where you have a sandbar that is deep enough for your foil to fly over the whole and bar, a, and then a trough. And then a trough. I, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So and what he's what he's saying is like the wave's gonna break a little bit, just enough to get in, and then the white water will disappear, and you just have a rolling wave yep. with no real break. Yep. And you can just easily maneuver through that. It's so clean. I mean, there's you know, you're taking out variables. You're taking out the yep. variable of the lip. Yep. And the whitewater, which whitewater gets super
1: weird on foils. Yep. And Uh, and those are really fun waves to foil either way. I mean, what we do now is we chip in at the break and then we pump a couple hundred meters offshore and then we're back in that same type of energy. So that's a really fun place to foil as well. And it's worth traveling to a break that is going to give you success at the beginning for sure. Yeah. Over struggling in a wave that maybe absolutely a a goes back breaker. To what we
0: we're talking about with flight time mm-hmm. i mean you just you want time flying the foil and whether that means behind a ski you know starting on an e-foil and then just behind a ski towing or if you have to go out into the lineup and do it you pick a brake and gear that's going to allow you the most
1: flight time yep right out right out of the gates and i think that flight time at the beginning powered so jet ski boat foil ideally should be inversely proportional to how good you are at board sports I think that if you're pretty good at skill mapping which is something we talk about on the show if you have a high level of foot sensitivity through skating or surfing that process is going to happen faster for you than if you're like never been on a board sport before and you want to go out and foil which is incredibly cool you're going to need more time on the power device before you should enter Mm -hmm, definitely swell yeah. Yep. Totally and agree. and a wing might be a good place to get this too once you get those first few powered. You know, if you're in a place where you have good wind, a sure. wing will get you a lot yeah, of foil time, especially for the guys that have
0: kiting background. Like, oh yeah. Like right. winging winging for me came supernaturally because I I spent a, a lot of time kiting. So, um, you know, once I got a wing, it it came pretty quick just because the 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 muscle memory is really similar. The background's there. I understand the concept. Right. Yeah. That's a really great way to get flight time
1: and dial in your gear. And yeah, that's yep. winging is. Yeah. And there again, when you're going to start on the wing, strip away variables, find, you know, expansive lake with good fetch right. or a lagoon somewhere without waves yeah. at the beginning. Cause that can be really frustrating mm-hmm. and start on a big board, start to eliminate the variable of, having to have stability on your board at the beginning of wing. And I'm a wing kook, so this is all very relevant to me. I'm I'm terrible in the wing still. But yeah, I actually just went from an 80-liter board up to a 105-liter board for this next upcoming like little run of wind that we'll probably have here this month just to focus on, because I've got the foil skills, right? Mm -hmm. I just need to get better at the the wing skills and that's so.
0: about where i'm i'm, a, I'm about a 100 liter board. are you yeah i i just i've tried less and i've tried more I, I mean less is definitely more fun yeah but i hate going out and winging and like especially in the surf and falling over a ton i just want to get up i just want
1: to get going i don't you know? think i've ever cussed more Oh
0: man, winging winging can be super frustrating,
1: (laughs) super, super frustrating. One of my last sessions, I had the lifeguards waiting for me, following me down the beach because I was about a mile offshore and the wind started to die. I couldn't get up and (laughs) jive back to get back, pointed towards shore. Oh man. And I love the fact, this is the best story too, because they followed me down the beach and I'm like a mile, like literally like- Were you on a uh, slightly offshore wind or what? It was pretty sideshore. But it was kind of light. Tacking offshore. Yeah, and, and it, it was like stuck. it was a north wind, so I'm, I can't really get up on the tow side. Mm-hmm. So I could get up heel side, going farther offshore. But then you make the job, and then to... I couldn't make the job. There wasn't quite enough wind for me to do it. It was like kind of weirdly choppy, and so the, the lifeguards follow me down the beach for like forty five minutes. They're just sitting there, and I know what they're doing. Yeah, and so then, like, finally, like forty five minutes later, I'm like getting back into the surf line, and the lifeguard grabs his paddleboard and starts running out to me. Like, what the, what the hell are you doing, bro? Like, I could have died for the last forty five minutes. I'm obviously fine now, and you're gonna run out like, I guarantee ridiculous. Sitting in
0: the truck, like with their binoculars on, you trying to figure out if you were like actually in trouble or not yet, and just waiting for it to you happen.
1: B- b- why wait to run out with the paddleboard that like you're gonna save me after? Like, I, don't I know. was a mile Maybe offshore. Maybe they thought you
0: were like too kooky to be able to handle the surf line. You know? Oh my goodness, it was funny, dude. Yeah, winging um, the winging is incredible, but it, it can be it can be challenging in the beginning too. I think my most challenging wing sessions though have just been due to me trying to push the conditions, like with low mm-hmm. wind. You know that's what yep. I hate. Like winging is it's not that hard to get up on a foil when you got proper wind and the right gear. But yep. you know when you're trying to go out in 12 miles an hour, it's you know you're gonna have to work for it. And if you're in the surf with the wave factor and not on a stable board, it's gonna be that much
1: more frustrating. So yep. yeah, I agree completely. All right, so if you get behind a ski or a boat, get used to flying sup or prone in the surf. You're starting off on the smallest wave possible. You're getting your flights to the beach and you're starting to get all that dialed. So maybe you're two weeks to a month into this process now and you're ready to start pumping. Yeah. That's like, that's the big thing in foiling. Foiling, what separates foiling from any other surf sport that I have done is the infinite ocean feeling of being able, it's the skate park, right? Cause yeah. you can go from wave to wave, mm-hmm. hit to hit, and that's what opens up the sport yeah i agree how do you start pumping what do you do when you're ready when you feel like you've got flight under control Mm -hmm. you want to start pumping how do you approach it i actually started
0: trying to dabble in pumping behind a ski even while still holding on the rope a little bit but i was riding a like a slingshot gamma or something like you know really old one Mm -hmm. like i don't honestly don't even know if i could pump that foil right now (laughs) it was a pretty small foil you know but I started trying to get the movement behind the ski just, just because I had the option. But I never got to where I could pump behind the ski with the gear I was using. I never got to where I could pump until I got a bigger wing and I was in the surf. And what I did, so I started, when I started moving down lines, successfully flying the foil down lines, I would take that speed from moving down the line and I would just try to continue that, that momentum. So pull off a shoulder real easy You know, there's no white water. You're plenty far out on the shoulder and you've got speed. So I wouldn't wait till a wave is dead at the end to try to pump. You kind of need to use that wave energy to like propel you into your pump. It's much easier to keep speed on the pump than to gain speed on a pump. Absolutely. Yeah. Gaining speed on a pump is like a more advanced skill for later. Like use the wave to get some speed, pull off the shoulder, and then just try to keep the the momentum that
1: you've grabbed from the wave. Yeah. And when you're exiting the wave, it's not you're not doing a turn to leave the wave, because turning takes a lot of speed away. You especially when you're turning up the face of a wave, when you're turning like on a wave, you actually gain speed. But when you're when you're exiting a wave, you're gonna lose speed going over the mm-hmm. crest of the wave. So you wanna take the most benign angle that you can to yep. exit the wave. And then you don't want to deviate from that angle. So you want to leave the wave and whatever angle you're on leaving the wave, that's your straight line of pumping. Mm-hmm. You're not going to try to go right back out. To yeah, the don't lineup. worry gonna, about that yet. Yep, yeah. You're going to pump sideshore Agreed. basically. You can yep. pump down the beach, mm-hmm. whatever direction you're going front side, backside, right, left. And you just want to keep, just see how far you can, can, can yep. keep that pump going. I'm kind of a bird nerd. So, but I feel like pelicans are pretty much everywhere. So
0: when you watch a pelican fly down the line of a wave, when they peel off, it's a super gentle, gradual peel off, and they kind of just glide over to the next wave behind them, and then they start riding that one. That's kind of how I think about pulling off of a wave.
1: And that's Shore Runners right there. Yeah, it's yeah. that's Shore Runners for sure. Yeah. yeah, pelicans. Yeah, some tips on pumping, some things that I think will help your reference. And the way that I learn and the way that I look at skill sets is I generally have a framework for each of the skill sets, a model or, or a mental representation. If you go back to like Anders Erickson's work, if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's one of the first ones I did, but Anders Ericsson wrote Peak and it's about deliberate practice. And in deliberate practice, you use mental representations. At the beginning, they're external, they're from someone else. And then as you get better, you start building your own. You start adding to that mental representation or creating your own for new skill sets but the the representation that i think about for pumping in the framework is your home base for pumping is high on the mast. Yes. And the pump should happen down, pushing down and then back up to home. What the common mistake i see everybody making in pumping is that they're low on the mast and they're trying to jump up. Mm-hmm. And what happens, the difference in the two is that if you're high on the mast and you're pushing down, you're going from a flat angle of attack which has a lot of glide down with pressure so you're accelerating down and then the foil recoils underneath you back up to the home base. Now when you're low on the mast which I think is incorrect and you're pumping you're going to be flat gliding low but then when you go to pump you go high angle of attack with power which actually has a lot of drag so you're slowing yourself down on the way up that's when you get that nose flappy thing. So Mm. you want your angle of attack when powered to go from flat to down not from flat to up and so I think that, and in the couple camps that Brian and I ran uh, over the last month, the that was the common mistake. Everybody was low, jumping up on the pump instead of high, pushing down. And over the three-day courses, we had a few of the guys really internalize the difference in that framework, and their pumping difference was astounding. Like, when you go from high on the mast down, mm-hmm. you're more efficient, you're higher on the mast, you're projecting forward on the pump too, you should always be leaning forward, almost jumping, pushing down to the spot where you want to go and your board is going to come with you. It's almost like a trust fall, right? Where you're, you're jumping forward. And then when you come off that back foot, the board recoils back underneath you Mm -hmm. instead of jumping from the bottom. And that's that back footed pump where you're really straight up. Yeah, I agree. Do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's, that's pretty spot on. I, I feel like I, when I see people beginning to pump, one of the things I see is the, the movement of the nose of the board will be, you know, they're, they're focusing on the jump, which is, you have, I mean, you have to unweight, like that's just part of pumping, but they're, they're not driving forward. So I'll see the, you know, the, the board stays up, but they slowly slow down. Right. And eventually they lose lift and they push through the water column. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think what you're talking about with the push, I think a lot of the, you know, generating speed or continuing speed with the pump comes not just from the jump, but from the, to push down. I mean, you're you're reweighting the whole system, and now you're pointed the foil slightly down, so you're flying it downward, you know. And then that's when you pick up that speed again. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. I I agree with everything you said. Yep. The other thing that I see a common mistake is that at the beginning. So you need to get the the cadence with the arm swing, right? Because mm-hmm. the arm swing, and you and I have both minimized that a lot in the last year. But it's still incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. You're just you, you're just getting away with less. You know, you become right. more efficient in motion. You're getting that energy from your arms translated into your legs yeah. in, in less less space. But the thing that I see is at the beginning, everyone is swinging their arms laterally across their body, so heel rail to toe rail, and that is not moving in line with the direction that you're going. And that was a big change for me is when I started realizing that. My arms should move in line with my momentum, Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be perfectly in line with your momentum. But my front arm moves from my hip forward, and my back arm will swing mostly back and forward, like back and like. like, Yeah, uh, you want to go nose to tail instead of rail to rail with your arms. Yeah,
0: I think about it like your is going to be pointed forward a Mm -hmm. little bit. Like I know, mine is for sure. I'm looking forward. Like I've got my eyes on my next spot. Like right. eyes on the prize. My torso, my shoulders are pointed toward uh, slightly towards the nose of my board. So when I swing my arms, mm-hmm. they're naturally gonna, they should move with the direction my torso is facing. Just like you're,
1: just like yep. you're saying, right? And and I think that you do. You're a little bit more forward than I am. Mike's stance is a little bit more offset. Mm-hmm. than mine so right? I'm also, more a surf stance so, mm-hmm. so I'm probably going more from the hip and you're probably coming more which is something that we debate all the time I don't know if there's a correct answer on stance I it's feel like you're subtly ways.
0: you're subtly transitioning Do to you? a slightly offset you stance think so? yeah I was actually looking at the last video you posted and I was thinking that looks slightly offset Not nearly where you're doing. Not nearly where I'm doing, no. I've seen it with Adam Bennett's, though. It's a slightly offset stance. Right. I think it's just a weird evolution that's happening.
1: I find that if I'm too offset, I can't hit the foam the same way. Yeah. I can see that. A lot more instability in landing those turns, but that's for a different podcast. What else is good? What else should people know about this on-road to foiling? About, I mean, like the beginning or pumping specifically or... Anything. I mean, like I want this show to be valuable for someone who is in the first twenty five to thirty percent of the journey. Right?
0: I think it I, th- I think you kinda have to understand that the first foil setup you're gonna learn on is probably not gonna be the setup that you're gonna land on. It should not be. Yeah. I if, think if you if you can learn on it, you you should be getting rid yeah. of it. So if you go into it understanding that, I think you'll be better off in the end. Yeah. And I think a lot of people you know, they're turned away by the expense of the sport and you know, they're, it's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to buy two or three setups, but the reality is I mean, as the sport progresses, we're getting more and more gear on the market that's yep. used. I mean, I feel like you could pick up a pretty good user foil for pretty cheap right now. Like, you know, I got one
1: p- in the garage. I got an NSP in the garage. If anybody wants to buy an old NSP. from you go. I mean, and that's
0: yeah. what I would do. I would find it, just find a used beginner foil you know, put some, put some time and it's going to take some time. Like, I mean, you, you just have to put in the hours, try to, try to maximize the time that you put in, in a way to where you're going to learn the most in the time. And that's what goes with what we're talking about. Like, if you can get behind a ski sweet. if you can find the perfect surf break, you know, like let's maximize the flight time. You know, if you've only got 30 hours that you're willing to, you know, or 10 hours you're willing to put into the sport to try to figure out if you want to continue it, then make the most out of that time you know, and then at some point later you can kind of reassess
1: your gear. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. And don't be afraid to try different gear. I think that that's incredibly important. I, I mean, cause not all gear works for everybody and, and there's so much Foil setups kind of look the same, but they don't feel the same, you know, like, and, and the earlier you are in the sport, the less you're going to understand about the nuances of the gear And so at the beginning, you shouldn't be trying a lot of gear unless the gear isn't working. I mean, you don't want to be out and waist high surf on a 2400 wing because you're going to get yarded all over the place. You you need to have gear that is appropriately sized to the conditions that you're in. And your body weight too, you know I mean? Oh yeah. That's, yeah, you got to have, just match up
0: your gear for your conditions and your your weight. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. And if you're a kid, if so, if you're a parent out there that wants to get son or daughter into foiling it's really difficult to find gear for someone under hundred pounds. And that's mm-hmm. my, my son's 80 pounds, 85 pounds. And we're doing mostly like a kind of like almost custom gear, like having to chop a lot of stuff because there's just so much drag on foils because they're built for someone who's 150 pounds. So a small foil is generally built for a 150 pound person in huge waves. That might not necessarily work for an 80 pound person in smaller surf. And so I don't know if we'll see gear tailored towards smaller folks at some point, but right now you know like the lift 120 is a good example because that foil has the efficiency that my son damien needs but the span is really wide for him Mm -hmm. right you know like if i didn't love it so much i would chop the 120 down probably about four inches for him but that's not going to happen yeah yeah i wouldn't do it no (laughs) just get him another one yeah (laughs) So expensive. <laughs> He's on the Armstrong 850 right now, slightly chopped, and that's a good foil. Right. And w- which for us would be like a tow wing. A towed on it, yeah,
0: yeah. We wouldn't, yeah. W- but we wouldn't paddle out into the lineup on a waist high day on an 850 at our weight. No way. Yeah, no way. I mean, that's just that, and that's what I mean with matching up weight weight of rider to gear and conditions. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: So some some great setups for beginners. Let's talk about this. I think that the early cloud gear, the was it the 28? I want to say, 28X or X28 or something. Yeah, there. I learned on that foil, and that was a really good foil mm. to learn on. It doesn't pump very well, but it's very stable in flight. You have the ability to move your tail forward and back. I'm sure that there's a used market for the old Cloud foils right now. That would be, you know, pretty easy to find. It's a carbon fused with an aluminum mast. It's pretty bulletproof. I bet you could pick up that foil for 500 right. bucks at this point.
0: I'm a huge fan still of the Neil Pride. Oh perfect. Man. I mean, setup. as far as bang for your buck, I mean yep. I like I'm not sure what they are now, but I know for a while there you could get a brand new setup for like seven or eight hundred bucks. Yep. A full setup. But you know, and I was riding for a long time I rode a Neil Pride Glide Large. Mm-hmm. me too. And I made a ton of progression on that wing. I've actually bounced back on it since then, and it's still a really good wing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not going like, <clears> to <throat> win a pump race on it, but it's pumpable. It's surfable. It's naturally surfy. So, like, you you don't have to force that wing as much as you may some other mm-hmm. wings. Like, it it just wants to surf. It rolls over really easy. Yep. I think bang for your buck-wise, that is an incredible wing. And pr- I mean, price, like you can't beat that. It's like seven or 800 bucks for a wing that's going to carry you, you know, through the beginning and some solid progression. Yeah. There's that's probably still some new ones out there cheap too. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some used ones. If you yeah. Find and you them. get a used one for what, four or 500 bucks or something. I mean, that's less than you pay for a shortboard these days. I mean, it's, you know, and then you could probably turn
1: around and sell it for 350 or 400 bucks when you want to upgrade. Yep. Oh, something else I should mention here is that as the sport has become more specialized, and manufacturers have really taken into their own lines of what they're building, not all boards and foils work together. So mm-hmm. Armstrong setups tend to ride super far forward in the box. Takuma rides super far back. I had a buddy here just buy a new Armstrong board. He rides a Takuma LOL 1300, which is another great foil. Like if you can get yeah, on that the Takuma really setup, life. the 1300 yeah. can take you from beginning beginner intermediate, solid ripping yeah like j-bone j-bird yep. still we, rides we watched that. Like, him do it yep. yeah he's still ripping on that for he crushed me on a short run the other day on the 1300 yeah. that is a really good all-around yeah. wing i totally agree he's also a marathoner so you can have it that's my excuse when i lose <laughs> <in> a runner just <laughs> better cardio but to the point of boards and foils the takuma could not the, the mat the uh, box position in the new armstrong board was so far forward that my buddy Scott couldn't even ride the Takuma 1300 yeah. in it, just getting yarded all over the place. Yeah. And that also happens, you know, like in some of the Kalama boards, and Kalama makes insane boards, but if you want to ride a lift or an Armstrong in some of the Kalama boards, you can't go far enough forward right. in the box. Kalama so rides go foil. He go rides foil go foil. rides
0: really far back. As a, as a foil board shaper, you know, if I'm shaping somebody a board, one of my first questions is what foil are you planning on riding with mm-hmm. this? And that changes where I put the boxes. You yep. know, I want to optimize to where, ideally, your perfect placement is really close to the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you have give room either direction. But if you if you tell me you're riding a go foil setup, and then I shape you a board, and then all of a sudden you're riding a lift setup, there might be, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna be sent all the way to the front of the box. Like that's yep. just, and you're not gonna have enough. You're not gonna have the playroom that you, you might want. You know, so that's, I agree. Like the way the industry's moved, different manufacturers, I mean, the placement of the mast in relation to the board has become so different to the point where I can't use a standard number anymore on box placement for board size. I really need to
1: know what kind of foil somebody's riding. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's a good segue into (laughs) shimming 101. And so on your first setups, you're probably not shimming much. You're probably riding stock mm-hmm. out of the box, probably slammed back. Back. In. I would always advise yep. to just start further back because it's yep. easier to move up than I think to get yarded and move yep. back. It's yep. a safer progression. And then once you hit that flying every time, then you can start adjusting for feel. Mm-hmm. But the feel that I like on foil, and not everybody likes the same feel, but I think you and I like a pretty similar, pretty similar. feel, is I like a lot of weight. When I say weight, I mean pushback pressure on my front foot. Mm-hmm. I don't like to have to go back to the tail really hard during turns because it really limits stance, mm-hmm. I find. I also think that like the pump can be a little bit better. And now, one thing I've started doing is playing around with front foot placement on the board to to start getting that feel I like, even on foils that aren't balanced the yeah. way that I like. But that's a pretty... <laughs> high-level game yeah, of moving Yeah, we've your both front been foot. doing that lately,
0: moving yeah. our, both our feet around. I started where I was just moving my back foot up a little bit when I would pump. Now I'm moving
1: my back foot up and my front foot back a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can see on like a lot of my last videos where as I'm connecting into waves, I move my front foot back about three inches. And then that lets me fly the whole wave with a, with a narrower stance. But shimming 101, you want to start shimming from the tail. So once you have your mass position dialed, and you want to change the feel of your foil. And when I say feel, I mean where you're feeling the lift on your board. You're going to shim the tail. And let's use Armstrong's negative and positive for this. Because people have, yeah, I think this is the correct you know, physics way to explain it. But a negative shim, and this is when you're mounting a tail on the bottom of the fuse, So the tails can mount on the top or the bottom and then adding what you're doing is you're changing the angle of attack of your tail and what your tail does. So the foil, as you, the front foil, as you get speed going through the water will have lift and then it has forward pitching. And what forward pitching is, is the tendency of a foil to want to roll forward. So if you think about if you just slid a foil through the water with no fuse on it, it would do like forward circles down. So what the stabilizer does is it keeps it in level flight. Mm-hmm. Now you do that also through your weighting on the foil, through how you balance your weight over the top of your board, but you want a foil that's going to fly pretty straight through the water. So if you feel like it's hard to keep the foil up in the in the water column, then you're going to be adding negative shim to the tail. It's going to be um bringing the nose down which pushes up the the, the leading edge of the tail uh, of the tail down which is going to actually put up <clears throat> up force on the front wheel yeah. and if you feel like it's too much lift and you don't want to just move the, the mask back in the box then you shim the other way and you shim for the tail the trailing edge of your tail to be lower um, I like to think about that like just for
0: people who are less familiar with gear like you know some some tails mount on the bottom, some tails mount on the top. Some say negative or positive. Right. I, I like to think about it strictly an angle of attack. So, so that's how I do it. Too. You know, it, it's kind of because brand. You know, brand-wise, if if you say negative or positive lift, it could mean possibly something different for one brand or another. But just think about the angle of attack of your tail wing. You're increasing the angle of attack of your tail wing. Then you're going to create more, more lift and more nose. And that's up.
1: leading edge. Leading lower edge than of ta- the tail wing. Yep. Yeah, leading edge lower than trailing edge. It's the opposite for a wing mounted on the bottom. Right. Yeah. No. E- well, either way, you want your leading edge lower. Doesn't matter if it's top or bottom. Leading edge lower is is going to be more lift. Yeah, I'm right. My, Mike's making <laughs> I'm a very big face here. This really hard. It it doesn't matter if you think about the leading the top, edge being well, if a, as if the it's foils not, the tails on the, water, the bottom doesn't matter. Think about the angle of attack. If if the leading edge is lower than the trailing edge as Mm -hmm. it's flying through the water, that's more lift. Okay, you're right. I see it now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, you're right. Yep. It's the same either way. And the shim game can get very deep. I mean, like I've been riding the Game Changer 1260 for a long time, and it's been good for a long time, but I did some very subtle changes in the last couple of weeks and now it's even better. You know, when you start bringing in base plate shims, which is changing the angle of attack of your whole foil and that's mm-hmm. getting into a pretty high level game at that point. Sure. But just know that if you don't, I guess, I guess the takeaway here is if you don't like the way your foil feels right away, it may not be the foil. It might be how you're setting it up. Agreed. And Mike and I, Kane, there's a lot of guys online that are really helpful in, Helping you get that dialed. You know you can shoot us a DM on Instagram. Mike is Flyline Productions at Flyline <clears throat> underscore Productions on Instagram. I'm the dot Progression dot Project on Instagram. Give us a follow. And the other valuable thing about our Instagram pages is you can go back in our feeds two years. Mm-hmm. To see what we were doing, yeah, and to watch the level of growth. You can like go back and I look still at the got pride. My kook foil
0: phase, you know, yeah, where I wasn't even making connections yet. Yep. you know, and my first, I have my first, my very first wave connection ever on my Instagram feed still. Yeah, and I, I enjoy going back and looking at
1: that. It's cool to see the, the pathway. Yeah. yeah, I go back and I look at yours from when you were a kook. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, we've got wow, we just crushed fifty minutes of this. Wow. So, all right, we're gonna bounce because. The tide is good now fun. and it's, it's looking really fun out back, but I hope this was helpful for everybody. I appreciate you doing this with me, Mike, because it's yeah, like, we've got a whole other podcast we're going to do soon on what we've been learning other lately things. and I sure. mean, have had some yeah. crazy, that's going to be really technical though, but yeah. For your listeners, I'm, I am so
0: frothy on foiling. I'm always happy to answer you know, if anybody has a question, feel free to DM me on Instagram. I, I enjoy it, you know? Like when I get downtime at work and stuff, I'll check my Instagram feed and I'm happy to respond to questions and help people out. I love, love this sport, love seeing people get into it. And I want people to have a successful pathway to having as much fun in this sport as I am. So I'm happy to help anybody who wants to reach out.
1: What I think we should end on is a conversation that you and I had yesterday. And that is we're about two and a half years into being as foil brained as we are where it's silly how much you and I and a couple of the people in our circle talk about foiling like all day long. Right. And if you would have said two and a half years ago with how stoked I was on foiling, that I would be more stoked at this point in time, I wouldn't have believed it. I know it's crazy. And it's crazy. And we were talking about why we think like we're so stoked now. And it's because the better you get at foiling, the more opens up, and the more fun it gets. We yes. haven't hit the the limit of how much fun we're having yet. And the beginning can be frustrating and hard. And then there's a moment where it starts to click, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you've got this infinite skate park
0: on tap. Yep. I look at the be- you know I have people ask me how hard is that to learn, and I like to say how fun is it to learn foiling because if you reframe that kind of mindset, like I enjoyed the challenge of learning. Yeah. Foiling, You know, like, that was really fun for me. But the cool thing, like you're saying now, I'm still learning foiling. You know, like, two and a half years ago, I was super frothy on the sport. And now I'm even more frothy on the sport because as I get better, there's all these other opportunities that have opened up. You know, like, I mean, I could list a ton of examples, but it's just it just keeps getting better yeah you know the more you learn the more opportunities you have and the more you're able
1: to capitalize on how magical a foil is Yeah, a 100 agree and what's the coolest thing about it is that we're not alone on this journey the best guys out there i have these conversations with you know like yeah adam Bennett is arguably the best guy in in like what he does on foil and He hits me up we're talking all the time about dialing gear and how much fun things are dave kalama kane like the better you get the frothier you are and that's really cool because i don't know if there's i don't know if i've done a sport to where i've been that that excited this deep into it Mm -hmm. for this long yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah
0: and and even more so like more excited this deep into it than you were in the beginning way more i think a lot of it too is is that the sport's still so young in the grand scheme of things. You know, so so like we've progressed to this point where we're with a, a pack of people, you know, we're all kind of pushing it in our own little directions and watching the other guys push it in their own little directions. And we're we're we are growing this sport. Like we are we are making this sport progress and it's so fun to be part of. Like it's yeah. just so exciting to like watch this progression happen. Nobody in foiling is 20 years ahead of us right now you know right like unless you're talking about like toe and jaws you know or right. something but like that's that's, <laughs> that's kind a of different di- a different yeah, yeah it's kind of a different nuance of the sport but nobody's 20 years ahead of us right now everybody's kind of we're all kind of new to it in a way yep. you know and that yep. i think in itself is super exciting because nobody also knows how far we can take this sport we're all learning that right now we're all figuring out what we can do and we're all learning new ways to capitalize
1: on it it's just it's mind-blowing and at the same time, you have manufacturers coming out with better gear every mm-hmm. six to 12 months, yep. which is opening up like the Lyft 120 Yeah, opens up like this whole new realm you didn't know was possible before. Mm-hmm. Being able to ride such small energy, be man, so the, efficient.
0: The guys that are pushing the sports are the ones that are pushing the gear
1: development too. Yep. You know, that's a cool relationship. I'm seeing. Yep. yep. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that this was beneficial and I will get Mike back on the show in the next i don't know month or so to do the conversation that we need to have about this training i these training ideas that we've had and a bunch of other stuff so stay tuned for that hit us with questions comments feedback of the positive variety i'll block you really quick if it's negative because i don't deal with that and yeah thanks so much yeah let's go send it send it
0: The Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antinson.